You're listening to First Conyers Daily Podcast, Daily in the Word, with Pastor John Mark Oliver. I just want to start out by just worshiping him this morning.
he's worthy of our worship. He's worthy of our praise. He's worthy of everything that we have, everything that we do. Aren't you glad that he saved you? <laughs> Aren't you glad that when you were um, unworthy, he made you worthy by the shed blood of Christ and when you trusted him as he drew you? What an incredible thing. What an incredible faith. And... Um, for, for for those who have not realized that, they're really to be pitied how how great a faith it is. And 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 there are those um who oftentimes profess that, but they really are not saved by him. And that's what the writer in this passage in Hebrews is gonna is gonna warn us of and call us to take stock in this morning as we as we get to what, what some say is a very difficult passage in the book of Hebrews, and um, we can wrestle with it, but I think there's a very plausible answer and interpretation to what the writer is calling us to. If, if you remember previously at the end of chapter 5 and the first three verses of chapter 6, as we have been in the he in Hebrews chapter 6, there there's a warning that, that the writer gives to us, and he, as he's writing to those early believers, he's calling them to grow in maturity in their faith. Press on. He doesn't need to lay a groundwork again of repentance, etc., and those things, but he's calling us to grow up in the faith, to grow to maturity. It's never God's intention that he save us and we become a child of God and remain an infant. But he wants us to grow in him, to grow in the likeness of his son Jesus, to allow the Holy Spirit to work in us through the word and the Holy Spirit to conform us to the likeness of Christ. And so then we come to, to verse 4. And um, let me just start out by saying there, there are those who try to cherry pick this passage and a couple of other verses in Hebrews um, to make the claim that it's possible for one who has been truly born again, who's been saved, that they can lose their salvation. But that is not what this passage is teaching. And so we're going to look at it and look at a couple of, there are actually three options of what the writer may be saying. And, and I think you will agree uh, perhaps with me to come to the most plausible conclusion of what he's saying in this passage because it gives us great assurance. He says in verse 4, he says, For it is impossible in the case of, of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, that is the gift of salvation, have tasted it, and have shared in the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. For land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those for whose sake it is cultivated receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorn and thistles, it is worthless and near uh, being cursed and its, and its end is burned. In other words, land that soak up the rain and uh, it fails to produce a crop that is profitable, uh, the only thing that you can do to that land is is burn it, uh, hopefully 
give nutrients to the soil that it will grow a good crop. Now here he's not talking about eternal death and hell. Oftentimes we see those words and we automatically think of that. It's not what the writer is talking about here. He's just simply giving an analogy that if the land that soaks up the rain, just like we may be in the presence of other believers in a church service and we soak up the rain, but yet it really doesn't do anything. Uh, and the illustration here in the soil, if, if the soil doesn't produce a good crop, then, then that soil has to be reconditioned so that hopefully it will produce a crop. Now, this, this passage, there, there are three possible interpretations of this passage that I see. Number one is that this passage to some teaches that, that one can lose their salvation, that once they've been saved, that somehow or another there's something that can happen. They sin or they turn their back against God, they, they denounce him, whatever, that, that, that it's possible for them to lose their salvation. Well, that just cannot be an answer to the interpretation of this passage because when we take Scripture as a whole, Scripture does not teach that. As a matter of fact, Scripture teaches the very opposite. And that is that one doesn't save themselves. God is the one who saves. The other part of that is that when we are regenerated, when we're born again, when we fully understand all that God has to do in order to save us, to cause us to be regenerated, to give us new life, to cause our dead spirit to come to life, uh, for us to be redeemed, purchased by him, the transformation that takes place in us. <clears throat> All of that is God's work, and it is impossible to undo. God has done that, and God himself can't even undo the act that he's done in saving us. So this first possibility of, of the loss of salvation, it's just not possible. It doesn't fit with the rest of the teaching of Scripture. The second interpretation that some take uh, to this passage is that it simply is a hypothetical statement that the writer's making. And he's, and he's giving a warning to those in the body of Christ as he spoke of those in previous chapters of the children of Israel that were not able to enter into the promised land because of their lack of faith. That it's a warning to them to stir in them maybe a seriousness of their faith, uh, maybe to stir in them a motivation uh, that, that they're to produce fruit. But I don't see that as a plausible interpretation of this passage. Um, but the third, I think, is what would be taught in the rest of Scripture, and that is that that uh, that that those there are those who profess to be Christians. There are those who uh, who, who go to church. They enjoy the the things of God at a distance. They maybe they just want to be considered to be moral, upstanding people. Maybe they like the truths and the principles of the Word of God, and they they just simply want to be a good moral person. That they have not truly been born again, and time will bear that out in their life. That they are really not true believers. Um, and I think this is the most plausible interpretation, that they're, they're just simply not genuine believers. They may confess with their mouth 
uh, but their hearts are far from God. Remember, it's, it's the heart first that is changed, and then we profess with our mouth what Christ has done for us. There are a couple of other verses that that I want us to look at briefly that, that, that are very clear that within the body of Christ, there are those who will be among us, but time will prove that they were really not of us. The first verse I want you to look at is in the, the book of 1 John, First uh, John chapter 2, verse 19, where John writes this, and he says that there are, there are those, verse 19, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that it might become plain that they all are not of us. And John was dealing with an apostate church at that time. Those who professed to be believers, they were among the fellowship of believers, but they went out from among us. And, and them going out from among us was proof that they were never really a part of us. In that particular day, John was dealing with that heresy that was being taught of Gnosticism. And that heresy sprang up among those who professed to be believers. And they went out from the body of Christ and they began to teach another doctrine that was not truth. They taught heresy. And so John makes a point. They were among us, but they were really not of us. Another passage that I want to briefly look at is in Acts chapter 20. When Paul is writing or he's speaking to those there in the church in Ephesus, he begins to, to make this, this, this explanation to them, um, and we'll pick up in verse 26. And Paul says this as he's speaking to those in Ephesus. He says, Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Then verse 28. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock, in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church, which he obtained by his blood. So he's speaking to the elders. He's speaking to the pastors there. And he says, be careful, pastors, to pay attention to yourselves and also to pay attention to the flock. Pay attention to those in the church, the body of Christ, who were purchased by God by the blood of Christ. I know that after my departure, Fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Here he's speaking of, of false teachers. Jesus warned of those that would be in sheep's clothing, but they were actually ravenous wolves that would come in and try to steal sheep. And so we still have the same thing today. There are those that come into churches professing to be believers, but they have their own doctrine. They have their own agenda. And be careful. Be wise he says, don't allow them to come in and destroy the flock. I've had times, instances in my pastoral ministry where I have had to deal aggressively with people that have come in among the flock and have taught false doctrine. And at times, it's not been understood by all, and I've received some criticism about that. But you know what? I'm, I'm responsible to God to safeguard the flock, the body of Christ. And that's one of the charges given to the elder or the pastor is to protect the integrity of the word of God. And then he says in verse 30, And from among you, your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things 
to draw away disciples after them. So here in the church, Paul uh, tells those uh, pastors there in Ephesus, those elders, to be careful because there are those that are going to come into the church from outside teaching false doctrine. And there will also be those among you who will rise up and teach false doctrine, indicating that they were never of the faith. And so I think the most plausible interpretation of this passage in Hebrews is that there are those who profess to be believers but have never really trusted Christ. Maybe they're good moral people. Maybe they have agreed to the creeds of the church, but they've never been born again. And so twofold application of this. One, it's a call for us to examine ourselves. Are we truly in the faith? Have we truly trusted Christ? Notice I didn't say, have you truly done good works, but have you truly trusted Christ and his work and his work alone for your salvation, not depending on anything that you might be able to do to save yourself, but but trusting God. So it's a call for us to examine ourselves. And secondly, it's a call to, to judge those in the body of Christ, to discern whether or not they're, they're really in the faith. And then he goes on in verse 9 to encourage them. In conclusion, he says this, Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. In other words, I, I'm, I'm right to you, but I feel confident, he says, that, that all of you are truly in the faith. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work, or that is your expression of your faith, and the love that you have shown for his name and serving the saints as you do. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the very end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promise. And so here concluding this passage, he speaks of of, of, of that, that, that fact that believers will endure to the very end. And so the indication of a, of a true believer is that they will persevere to the very end. We call that doctrine the perseverance of the saints, that those who are truly born again, who truly trusted Christ, will persevere to the end to receive the promise that has been given to us. Well, I hope that gave some clarity and I hope you found some application in your life to that. Meditate on those truths and thank God this morning for such a great salvation that he has brought and bought for us by his very precious blood, the sinless blood of the Lamb of God, that we trusted that as he called us and we placed our faith in him. Thank God for that great salvation and pray that God would give you an opportunity today to plant, to sow a seed of the gospel in somebody's heart. That is the word of God. That if we recognize a seed has already been planted there, that God would give us the wisdom to know how to cultivate it. And God, by his grace, would allow us to see somebody saved this day or this week. Pray and ask God for that opportunity. I love you. I pray the Lord blesses you. He keeps you. I look forward to seeing you tomorrow morning on this daily devotion. Share this with others so that they might also be in the Word. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to our daily podcast. For more information about First Conyers, visit our website at firstconyers.com.